Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is a small, very small um, little village about five miles outside of Jerusalem. There's nothing very special about Bethlehem. But why was it that Jesus was born there? Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? That's what we're going to look at over the next few minutes. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Because the Bible writers keep coming back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is all through Scripture. Bethlehem plays a very important part in the unfolding revelation of God. And Bethlehem tells us much about God's plan to save humanity. It tells us a lot about how God is at work. So the question I want us to look at this morning is, why Bethlehem? And we're going to look at five things, five things that we can celebrate about Bethlehem. Now, in order to do that, let's read the prophecy that comes in Micah, which is an Old Testament book of the Bible. And this prophecy was written 700 years before Jesus was born. This was written down by the prophet Micah, and this was written and prophesied about where Jesus was born, and it tells us about Bethlehem. This is Micah chapter 5, starting at verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Five things about Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Five things that Bethlehem teaches us. Number one, Bethlehem celebrates the small and the seemingly insignificant. In that prophecy, Micah 5 and verse 2, it says this. It says, Bethlehem, you who are small. Bethlehem was a small, still is, a small village just outside of Jerusalem. It is small in significance. It was a surprise even to the prophet Micah that somewhere so insignificant would be the birthplace of someone so important. Now, in the traditional world of nine lessons and carols, if you go to a, a high church or if you go to a cathedral this time of year, you're likely to encounter a service that has nine lessons and nine carols. And the first scripture reading, the first of those lessons, is from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Let's read it. This is in the King James Version. It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That verse is a promise of Jesus. Right after Adam and Eve have just fallen, they've just messed up, they've just sinned, they've just 
fallen into the trap that the serpent that Satan set them, then immediately comes this prophecy, this promise of the seed born of a woman that one day would defeat Satan and defeat the serpent. Straight after the fall, there is this promise of the Savior. And this is where the Christmas story begins. This is where we hear the first little very faint sound of the Savior, of Jesus. The small seed, the unremarkable, the very slow seed. The thing about a seed is it's often overlooked. A seed is planted in the ground. It can seem like nothing is going on for years and years and years. And in the case of Jesus and in the case of the Savior, nothing went on for 3,000 years until this moment Jesus is born in Bethlehem. You see, we don't get very quickly from the promise of the seed to Jesus being born. It takes over 3,000 years. Yes, you read the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. You read of all the way the seed travels down the different families to get to Jesus. You see, Bethlehem teaches us to celebrate the small and the insignificant. That's the way the gospel works. That's the way that Jesus works. Jesus is the seemingly small, the seemingly insignificant. That's the gospel. It seems like nothing's going on. It seems like the world is going to ruin, but Jesus has been promised, and there is a plan, and there is something that is happening, and one day that plan will come to fruition. We're to celebrate Bethlehem because when we think of Bethlehem, we're to be reminded that God is at work in the small. God is at work in the seemingly insignificant. So that's the first thing. God is at work in the small, in the seed, in Bethlehem. The second thing that I want us to know about Bethlehem is that Bethlehem celebrates the outsider. It welcomes in the nations. In the Old Testament, there's the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is a great book all about the Israelites claiming the promised land. And in Joshua, there is the story of Joshua and the capture of Jericho. Many of you will know that story well. And within the story of Jericho, there is the story of Rahab. Now, Rahab was a prostitute. She was a prostitute who worked in the city, but she housed the spies who were sent into the promised land. She demonstrated hospitality and kindness to them. And when Jericho was defeated and the walls came tumbling down, the only people in the whole city who were saved were Rahab and her family. Joshua 6 verse 25 says it like this, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved them. And she, that's Rahab, lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers who Joshua had spent to spy out Jericho. That's Joshua 6, verse 25. So Rahab's home was like Noah's ark. It saved her and all who lived and were in that household. You may know that story, but that story of Rahab then takes another breathtaking turn because Rahab, the outsider, the foreigner, the, the, the kind of outcast, 
the kind of dirty, unclean prostitute marries a prince, an Israelite prince. His name was Salmon. He was one of the leading men in Judah. And he marries Rahab. And where do you think they set up home? Where do you think they lived? They lived in Bethlehem. 1 Chronicles 2 verse 51 puts it like this. Salmon was called the father of Bethlehem. Now, Salmon and Rahab have a son whose name was Boaz. Now look just for a moment at the genealogy, which is the kind of the line of Jesus at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, which is just a part of it, verse 4 to 6. Aminadad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, there he is. Salmon, the Judah prince, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the outsider. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. She was another outsider, another foreigner, a Moabite. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So can you see here Rahab, the Gentile woman, Rahab, the refugee, the outsider, finds her home where? In Bethlehem. And that's followed by Ruth. It's a whole book, four chapters, you can read it, which is another story of the outsider, the Gentile, the Moabite, drawn in where? To Bethlehem. Makes a home where? In Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the home to the outsider. Bethlehem is a home to the nations. Bethlehem is a place where shame is wiped away. Past is wiped away. Bethlehem is a picture of the family of God where everyone is welcome. That's why it's wonderful preaching this on the International Sunday. Every nation, tribe, and tongue is welcome in the family of God. Bethlehem shows us this. Bethlehem is a hint of this. You see, in the Old Testament, what we have is hints of what is to come and to be fulfilled in all its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. What we have with Rahab and Ruth is is a hint of what Jesus comes to do in all of his fulfillment. Jesus welcomes the nations. He welcomes each one of you. So Bethlehem celebrates the outsider. It welcomes the nations. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that, isn't that glorious? Third thing, third thing that we can learn from Bethlehem, the third thing that we can celebrate is hope in the margins. Again, in the Old Testament, we had the story of King David. We had the story of David the shepherd boy being anointed as the next king of Israel. In 1 Samuel 16, we read of the old prophet Samuel walking up the hill in where? Bethlehem. To appoint a new king. Saul was the king, but he wasn't a very good king. So Samuel was sent to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, this quiet, small village. He didn't know why he was going there. And he called out Jesse. Jesse and his sons. Now, Jesse was had Canaanite and Moabite blood in his veins. He wasn't the purest Israelite. And seven sons passed by Samuel, and to each one God said, not him, 
not him, not him, not him. And in 1 Samuel 16, God said to Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. The shepherd boy David is chosen to be the next king of Israel. David is chosen from the margins. David is chosen from the wrong family. He was the wrong age. He lived in the wrong place. Nothing fit to be the one chosen to be king. But God chose him. And again, in the Old Testament, David is a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He is a foretaste. He is a glimpse of the perfect savior to come. Look at both Jesus and David for a minute. Both were born in Bethlehem. Both were shepherd kings. Both were anointed and full of the spirit. Both removed the shame from their nations. But here's where it gets different. David's kingdom unravels. Jesus' kingdom endures forever. You see, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, again, is the place where we celebrate hope in the most unlikely of places. There is hope in the margins. There is hope where you don't see it because God is not about the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Jesus is at work in people and places that you might not expect. It's not about geography or status or power when it comes to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is upside down. The kingdom of God is about the poor, the disempowered, and the humble. There is hope in the margins. Bethlehem shows us that, that there is hope in places that we do not expect. God is at work in people, in lives, and in places that we don't expect. So that's the third thing. Bethlehem celebrates hope in the margins. Fourthly, Bethlehem celebrates the oppressed and those facing injustice. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Let's just read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Again, often read at this time of year in carol services. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. I wonder if you've ever thought that Bethlehem was a place under oppressive rule. Bethlehem was under the rule of the Roman Empire. Jesus was born into a place that was under occupation. A place that was oppressed by the Romans. And I think this is an absolutely fascinating and important point to make that we often miss in the Christmas story. Because the incarnate Jesus, God as flesh, 
was born into a place that was downtrodden, oppressed, and disempowered. When it came for God to become flesh, he did not choose to be born in Rome. He did not choose to be born in Athens. God chose to be one of the oppressed. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he chose to encounter terror, encounter injustice, encounter the, 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 the being scared about being born in occupied territory. The incarnation, Jesus being born in Bethlehem, is God's solidarity with those who suffer. You see, the gospel is most at home in a place of tears and pain. The light shines brightest in the darkness. The baby Jesus is born amongst the broken and the oppressed, not in the center of power, which was Rome. Equally, not in Jerusalem, which was the center of spiritual power and authority. No, no, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And those living today in today's world, like they brilliantly prayed, under oppressive regimes can take great comfort in this. That Jesus was born into a place under an oppressive regime. And where did Jesus end his life? He ended his life on a cross at the death at the hands of an empire suffering injustice. We mustn't miss this. In the Christmas story that we know so well, Jesus chose to be born in the wrong place, on the wrong side of history, amongst the oppressed and the downtrodden. Jesus was saying, I'm one of you. I get difficulty. I get pain. I get injustice. I've suffered it myself. Bethlehem shows this to be true. Bethlehem is Jesus showing us that, that he celebrates the oppressed and those facing injustice. He understands because he's been there. Finally, finally, Bethlehem teaches us to celebrate the bread of life and the Lamb of God. And I absolutely love this next part that I want to share with you. Some of you may know this, but even if you do, I pray it comes with a fresh revelation. So in Hebrew, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. That's what it means in the Hebrew. And just to give you a little bit of geography and just to set the context, Bethlehem is on the Judean hillside. And around it is a fertile area. There's lush green grass and very old kind of like springs in the ground that come up providing water even in a hot country. But after Bethlehem, if you go east, then it is all desert and wilderness. So Bethlehem is a place of harvest and fruitfulness. You see that in the story of Ruth and Boaz. There's a harvest, there's food. So, so park for a moment, park for a moment. Bethlehem is the house of bread. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That's what Jesus says in John 7, 42. I am the bread of life. What does Jesus do in his ministry? He feeds 5,000 people. He, he, he gives bread, physical bread, for those who are hungry. 
He says, come to me and receive. Come to me and eat. Come to me and you will find fulfillment. And when Jesus dies, how are we to celebrate his death and resurrection? What was the the meal that Jesus gave us to celebrate his death and resurrection? It was communion. It was bread. We're to break bread. So there's this incredible, wonderful reality that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the house of bread. And here's another element to this, which, which I'd never seen before. What was Jesus put in when he was born? He was put in a manger. What's a manger? A manger is a feeding trough for animals. It's like Jesus was saying, look, here, come and feast on me. Here I am. I am the bread of life, born in the house of bread and put in a feeding trough. Look how symbolic this is, that Jesus is the bread of life, born in the house of bread. But it gets even better because Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. But Bethlehem in Arabic means house of meat or house of lamb. Now, it was named that because, again, Bethlehem was a place where the nomadic Arab shepherds came to sell lambs. And the lambs that were kind of birthed around the Bethlehem hills on the fields and the hills around them were then taken into Jerusalem to be sold as sacrifices for Passover. In the Jewish writings of the Mishra, which is like a historical document that goes alongside much of Jewish history, we read there that the sheep for temple sacrifices grazed around Bethlehem. So the lambs that were used in temple sacrifice came, where did they come from? They didn't come from any old town in Israel. They came from Bethlehem. That's where the lambs came, which were used in the sacrifice that was slaughtered in Jerusalem. So, I mean, look at how rich this is in in imagery and symbolism. That, That Christmas is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, the house of lamb, the house of meat, so that he one day would go and be our once and for all sacrifice. As Nathaniel said when he saw Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, how incredible and wonderful is that? Bethlehem is the house of bread, Jesus, the bread of life. And Bethlehem is the house of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. It's incredible. It's wonderful the way it all fits together, the way it all makes sense. You go, wow, Lord, how incredible is your word? How incredible is your sovereign plan for humanity? So when you answer that very simple question, where was Jesus born? I want you to think of some of the things that I've outlined for you. Because Bethlehem is incredibly, incredibly significant. If you've got time over Christmas, I would encourage you, go and look at some of the stories I've mentioned. David, Ruth and Boaz, Rahab. Go and look at some of these examples in Scripture of how Bethlehem is the key place that these characters lived. And then realize that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this was no accident. 
This was planned, prophesied, and this was coming to birth, all that Jesus was going to do. It's wonderful and glorious. So I want you to remember in closing, when we think about Bethlehem, why Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem celebrates the small. It celebrates the seemingly insignificant. Bethlehem welcomes the outsider, the Rahab and the Ruth and all nations. Rahab and Ruth were a foretaste of what was to come through Jesus when all nations were welcomed to the throne of God. And Bethlehem shows us that there is hope in the margins, that where we don't see any hope or look on the outside and judge things by the world's perspective, Bethlehem shows us that it's not about the outward appearance. God is at work. God is at work in wonderful ways that we often don't see. Bethlehem is for those who are oppressed, those who are struggling with injustice, You think that God doesn't understand? Well, look at where God chose to be incarnated. Look at where God chose to be born, in a town or a village that was under the oppressive reign of Rome. And then remember, please remember that Bethlehem is the bread of life. And Bethlehem is the the lamb of God, the house of bread that birthed the bread of life, the house of the lamb, that bread, the one who would be the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So Bethlehem is the perfect choice of where Jesus was to be born, the perfect choice. And when we remember Bethlehem, we can be encouraged, we can hear the voice of God to encourage us and build us up. I'm going to pray in a moment to close. Maybe the band can come up. We're going to sing a final carol in a moment before we finish and get ready to eat and enjoy uh, our fellowship and our time together. But as the band come up, I want us to pray for in a moment. I want us to have a moment to reflect on Bethlehem, a moment to reflect on why Bethlehem, a moment to reflect on some of the things that are up here written on the screen, some of the things that, that, that challenge us and hopefully encourage us by the choice of Bethlehem being the place where the saviour of the world is born. Could you stand, please, if you will? Could you stand? Okay, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Let's be quiet for a moment. We're going to sing a final carol together. We're not going to sing, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, but you probably know that carol, those little words, a little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. When, when you hear the word Bethlehem, I want you to be encouraged and challenged this Christmas. I want you to be encouraged and challenged. Encouraged 
that God uses the small and insignificant, encouraged that God is at work in the margins, encouraged that God welcomes outsiders, that all are welcome to his family, encouraged that the gospel is, is manifest here in the choice of Bethlehem. I want you to be encouraged by that. But I also want you to be challenged. I want you to be challenged this Christmas. Challenged in Jesus being the bread of life. In Jesus being the land that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is what unites us. Jesus is the one that we all need this Christmas. We all need the bread of life. We all need the sacrifice.